So, Father, I thank you for, um, mostly I just thank you for who you are. A God so powerful that not only did you speak all of this into existence, but you hold it together by the word of your power. I pray that I would remember that, that as a people, we would remember that when we feel like our lives are falling apart. You hold it together by the word of your power. So as we continue to worship you in the word now, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to do what he is doing, that he would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your truth, that he would fillet our hearts with the beauty of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Lord, I thank you that he did what we would not do that he accomplished what we could not do. I thank you that he is making us what we are not. So Lord, now as we open up your word, I pray that the things that we cannot see, you would show us. I pray that the things that we do not know, you would teach us. And I pray that the things that we are not yet in the image of your son, you would use this time to make us for your glory and your glory alone to be revealed. And I pray this in the beautiful, majestic, glory-revealing name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thomas Jefferson said this, God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when, he has, when we have removed the conviction that these liberties are a gift of God. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. We are in a time in our nation where it feels like we've sort of turned away, right, over the years, and we'll talk a little bit about that today, but today is not a political message, nor is it really a message about the founding fathers, but I will bring them into the conversation a little bit as we work through Esther, but it's always been this way. Like God's people, we've always been a forgetful people. It's why in Isaiah 17, he says, for you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Today's message is titled, For Such a Time as This, and it's really just a commentary on our withness. How have God's people walked with Christ and how are we walking with him now? And we're going to use Esther there in a minute. But like I said, this is not a political message. And it's not because I don't think the church, like I don't, it's not because I'm afraid of doing a political message. It's not because I don't think we can. We are certainly free to preach about what's going on in our country. I'm just not sure that that's the place, the, the, the place the church should be doing it. John Piper said it this way, the exposition of the whole Bible will profit our people a hundred times more than our clever or creative reflections on the state of religion or culture or politics. So we're going to preach the word. Paul told Timothy, preach the word, brother, in season and out of season. What that meant was when it was politically correct or not, when it was popular or not, your job is to preach God's word. And so that's what we're going to do here, and we're going to keep doing that here. In Esther is where we're going to be today. So if you would, find Esther. Esther is in your Old Testament. It is 
to the left of Psalms and Proverbs. So if you open up your Bible to the middle, it may fall open to like Psalms and Proverbs. Start working back towards the left, and you'll eventually run into Esther. You get to like Ezra and Nehemiah, you've gone too far, but you're going to run into Esther. And I'm going to just give you a little bit of backstory about this because we're jumping right into the middle of a book, which we don't normally do. And by the way, as an aside, I'm excited to get back into James, Lord willing, next week and just start working through books of the Bible again, uh, verse by verse. And so we'll, uh, that's the plan for next week, Lord willing. But, um, but um, in the time of Esther, Esther lived around 450, 500 BC. But prior to that, just to give you a sense of how Esther got where she was, and I'm going to be really quick here, so so pay attention. So around when Isaiah was alive, which was Isaiah is the prophet Isaiah, Old Testament, it was around, and these, these dates are approximate, around 700 BC, 700 years before Christ came, and the world superpower at the time were the Assyrians, and they were coming to take over the world. Guys, this is, and part of that takeover was taking over God's people in Jerusalem, and, and, and Isaiah was one of those prophets. About 100 years later, roughly around 600 BC, another superpower in the world rose up, and they were the Babylonians. That's when, like, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were taken. The Babylonians took over the Assyrians, which included Jerusalem and is what is now Israel and, and, and that part of the world, and they took some of the people back with them to Babylon, which is now modern-day Iraq. A little while later, another superpower, about 100 years later, roughly, 500, about 500 BC, another superpower came along, and it was the Persians, which is now modern-day Iran. Part of why those people don't get along so well today. This goes back to biblical history. It's not just current events. And, and that was when, um, when Xerxes became king around 400, almost right at 500 BC, is when Esther, he brought women to become queens, and Esther is one of those young ladies that is brought to his palace, his kingdom, to become a queen. And that's, and that's sort of where we find ourselves in the backstory. We're going to jump in as we look at the question today. So here's the question. The question is, what can you do to change your neighborhood or your nation? The reason the backstory is important is because I don't want you to, sometimes we'll read stuff in the Bible and we'll think God's people just had it easier than we do. They weren't confronted with the kind of hostility towards him that we are. That is simply not true. Because in fact, right now, in, play, in, in I mean, if, if you are a Syrian Christian, you're, in a, you're either in a, in a refugee camp somewhere or you're fearing for your life. Right now, today, Christians in India, like as are being persecuted and killed, like in a, in a, in a new ramp up of persecution that just started again in the last 48 hours. We think we're being persecuted in this country. We, don't, we haven't even sniffed what that looks like. And yet we use that as an excuse to not share our faith, to not, to sort of be timid Christians because it just isn't popular anymore. And it's not. I mean, I get that in the last 50, 60, 70 years in our country, it is, it is not nearly as popular as it was in the 50s and 60s to say that you are a Christian. But, but, but relatively speaking, in the current world and in the historical world, we have it very easy in how we share our practice and share our faith. And so it's important to understand what, what happens here, the names you're going to see here. So, so as Esther is taken to the, king, to the king's palace, there is an, one of her family members is named Mordecai. And he's one of the other Jews that is there in that Persian empire. 
And, and he, although he doesn't have moment by moment interaction with Esther, he is sort of, he is, when her dad dies, he adopts her in a sense and becomes her earthly father. And he has been coaching and counseling her. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Esther chapter four. What this passage is going to teach us, so what we're going to look at as we go through this passage today, is how do we impact our neighborhood and our nation? Well, first, we have to be broken by what we see around us. The second thing is we have to understand the times that we're in biblically. And then the last thing is we have to be willing to take risks. The only way we're going to really make an impact for the gospel is if those three things are true in our life, individually, as a family, and as a church family. So let's pick it up in Esther chapter 4, starting in verse 1. After Esther 4 verse 1 says, When Mordecai learned all that had been done, so what, what has happened is a man that didn't like the Jews, Haman, has convinced the king that the best thing to do for the kingdom is to annihilate all Jewish people. That has been, an, that's, again, annihilating the people of God has been an ongoing theme throughout history, human history. So, that's what, so Haman has convinced the king to kill everybody. Mordecai knows about this because Mordecai is sort of in that a little more visible, and it says, so when he learned that all this had been done, that this edict had come, that they were going to be killed, it says he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out in the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. He went out as far as the king's gate, for no one was, was allowed to enter the gate clothed in sackcloth, because the king didn't want any unhappy people around him. Verse 3, in each and every province where the command and the decree had come, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping, wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Guys, they were broken by what they saw around. They were broken by the condition of God's people and, and by what was about to happen to them. But you have to understand that the, their response was not a protest. Their response was not a petition against anything. Their response was to fall back into the hands of the God who made them. That's what the, the, the sackcloth and ashes and the mourning and the weeping are a sign of crying. It's, it's, like, it's like in our vernacular as, as New Testament Christians would be to be at the foot of the cross crying out to Christ. That's ultimately what they're doing. Guys, interestingly, and I said I'm going to, because this, 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 history, Esther is sort of distant history. I'm going to work in some of our current, like, founding fathers' history just to help make the connection. A huge, a huge part of what, what led our founding fathers to break away from King George, yes, they wanted a free economy, and yes, they wanted liberty, but a huge part of it was their belief in what the Bible taught about freedom. Not just political and economic freedom, but real freedom. In fact, here's some interesting facts about some of our founding fathers, and they should come up on the screen, I think. Um, 53 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Orthodox Christians. 26 had Bible degrees. Nine died in the war. Five were captured. 12 had homes burned to the ground. 17 lost all they owned, and yet not a single one of them ever defected or changed their mind. Why is that? That wasn't just because, because we had this idea that, well, well because they were pro-American. There was no America, right? They were pro-freedom. And, and the reason they were pro-freedom is because they had been set free by Christ. And once you've really tasted freedom, tyranny doesn't taste very good anymore. 
And that's what led them to actually go like, to the mats with King George. Right? Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. So, so, so the queen's people come and say, Mordecai and all your people are mourning. Now look at what her response is. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him but he did not accept them. Guys, yeah, understand this. The reason she did that is she's afraid for her adopted father. She's afraid that if the king finds out he is one of the mourning ones, he's going to be one of the first to be killed. So he sends her, so she sends him a clean change of clothes, hoping he'll just go along. And Mordecai will have none of it. Right? It, it, it is what led, it, it, it's ultimately what led like our founding fathers, to finally break away from King George. That mindset of, you know what, we could just go along, but we would then be denying who we truly are in Christ. We would we would to do that, we would have to live outside of the freedom that Christ has given us. And we just can't in good conscience do that any longer. Yes, the founding fathers were against tyranny. They were. I mean, they, they didn't like the taxation. They didn't like all the stuff that you learned in your history books in elementary school. They wanted liberty, right? That, that's why the Declaration of Independence says that, 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 that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are guarantees. But who guaranteed them? According to the founding fathers, God did. Right, that, that he's, that they specifically say at the end of the preamble, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their government with, the, no, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It was that desire to not forsake what God had called them to that led them to do what they did. But ultimately, so back to Mordecai and, and Esther, Mordecai, th this idea of sackcloth, it was, it was, a, it was repentance. It was, a, it was a time, it was for them, it was for them to go, we know why we're here. Like Mordecai understood, we are in this bad place as a, as a people, as a nation of Jews, because of our sin. And, and getting into sackcloth and, and laying in ashes was a way of repenting. So ultimately, we've been praying for revival for a long time. We've been praying for revival since March of 2019. And, and we're seeing the fruit of that prayer little by little as, as, as the Holy Spirit grows us together in this time. Guys, but ultimately, the, the revival has to start with us individually. Right? The revival has to start, and, and revival always starts with repentance, Ultimately, what it comes down to is, guys, we, we pray, and especially on a holiday weekend like 4th of July, there's a lot of this, you know, Lord, revive our nation. Lord, revive. And I don't have time for this. There is no such thing. Now, I get what people mean when they say that the United States was a Christian nation. I understand what that, it was founded, I just read you the statistics. It was founded by predominantly Christians based on Christian principles. There is no such thing biblically as a Christian nation. Do you understand that? There was a Jewish nation. That was a whole different thing. The new covenant under Christ, there is no longer a Christian nation. There is a kingdom people. And we live as those kingdom people in a nation that happens to be called the United States of America. Praise God, best nation in the world. 
Absolutely, bar none. I'm just saying, like, we, we, well, here's, here's why that matters. When we're praying for revival for our nation, here's the, here's the, the thing that just, like, like, ripped my heart open this week. Why? Like, really, when it comes down to it, why are we praying that our nation would be revived? Because most of the stuff I see on Facebook, most of the stuff I see even in, in, in other circles, we're praying for revival. When you, if you just get right down to it, we're praying for revival. Not, this is not everybody. Mostly because we just want to live better lives. We just want to get back to the good old days, happy days, Fonzie, Archie, or, not, or what was his name? Um, Richie. Like, all, like we, we want to get back to that time that just seemed better and easier to be a Christian. Guys, if we're, if we're not praying for revival for our nation, only and solely that God would be glorified, then we're praying for the wrong reason. And I'm not sure that most of what you hear as, our nation needs help, our nation needs help, our nation needs help, yes it does, is, has, is ending with, so that... God's power would be revealed in glory. I think, it's, I think it's, yeah, his power will be revealed when he changes these people so we can get back to being more comfortable, to, to being more whatever. And, and we just have to, I have to check my own heart in that. You're going to read tomorrow in your daily readings as you're going along. And by the way, those have now moved to the back of your bulletin. So if you're not used to getting a bulletin when you come in, you should get one because the daily readings and everything on the back of there now are just sort of consolidating and moving more stuff online and, um, and things. So, and we'll tell you more about that later. But, but one of your daily readings is going to be Daniel chapter 9, his prayer of repentance. Daniel was in Babylon. He's there because his, God's people have gotten lukewarm. But he doesn't pray he prays ultimately for God to help them for, for God's name's sake. So remember that when you read that tomorrow. Guys, the, the question I had to ask myself a lot as I was preparing for this message was, am, am, I, like, am, I looking, am I spending most of my time looking out at what's going on in the world at, at those people going, God, you need to revive them? Or am I, am I starting with, yeah, God, I, I need some revival. Like, I, I've got junk in my own life that I need to deal with. The question, and here's, here's my barometer for that. As I'm praying for people, as I'm praying for our nation, the question becomes, who am I known more in every, whether it's in my conversations, my social media, my whatever it is, and I, am I known more by what I stand against or who I stand for? Am I known more by what, and guys, unfortunately, the church in America today has become way more well-known for what we're against. Sign this petition, get this, I, I, all of those things. We, we need to be doing something. We need to be politically involved. We need to be active. Absolutely, I'll get there in a little bit. But guys, all, if, if, if uh, so I'm not saying don't tell people what's bad. I'm saying don't just tell people what's bad, right? If, if we're not balancing that out with the only good is God, the only right is Christ, then we're, miss, then we're not sending the gospel message. Last thing I'll say about this. If you find yourself getting angry defending Jesus and the gospel, that is not Jesus. I, and some of you are going, yeah, but there's righteous indignation. Yeah, for him. 
right? Like we, we, we absolutely need to stand strong. We need to keep looking up. We need to all those, like all that is very true, but Jesus does not need our anger. Jesus is gentle and humble of heart. The only time in the whole Bible that he describes his own heart, he doesn't say righteous indignation. He doesn't even say holy and powerful. He says, I am gentle and humble. That's what should define us. We need to be involved in those other areas also, but it should always be with an attitude of gentle humility. And if it's not, then it's probably not of Christ. So many people have taken flippantly what was granted in our country, freedom from tyranny, absolutely. But also, so many of God's people have taken for granted what was given to us by walking with Christ, and that's freedom from sin. Guys, if, if we don't start with, man, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am those people, then we're not in the right place. Okay, so today's question, how can you, what can you do to change your neighborhood and your nation? First, you have to be broken by what you see. The second thing is, you must understand the times, and this point is going to go pretty quick. So you have to understand the times. So look at verse 5. It says, when, Then Esther summoned Hathach from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend to her. So this is her like go-between to the outside world. So she wants to talk to Mordecai, but she can't physically see him because she is isolated. So she orders him to go to Mordecai to learn what, this, what, what all this was about. So Hathach went out to Mordecai to the city square, to the front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him at the exact and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. So Haman was paying the king off to destroy God's people. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict, which had been issued in Susa for the destruction that he might show it to Esther. So like as proof, he's like, this isn't just me talking, Esther. This is for real. Your king, that you're in his court, this is what he's done. In order for her to go to the king and implore his favor and plead with him for the people. And Hathach came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Guys, we have to get, we have to understand, like, 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 at, like what Mordecai is trying to do here is he's trying to educate Esther on politics. Right? Because she's, I mean, she's just a, probably a teenage girl. She's just kind of like, I, I'm just here. I'm in the king's court. I'm a queen. I don't really, I'm not concerned with what's going on. And Mordecai's like, you better get concerned. And as Christians, guys, we better be concerned. Like, we better vote biblically. We better be involved in, if we're not involved in politics in some way, then we're not fulfilling the mission. Because part, when you live in a democracy where everybody votes, then everybody's vote counts. And the church better rise up and start voting biblically. But what he's doing is he's reminding, and you'll see this in the next section, he's reminding Esther, here's who we are. Here's what the king said. Here's, here's the new laws. Here's, here's the, in our vernacular, here's the new Supreme Court ruling that went against God's word. But I'm going to remind you, Esther, here's what God's word says. And he's going to get there in the next section. But but guys, so that we don't believe that this is only ever, like this what we're seeing in the last Frankly, I mean, the, the, the pace of change in our nation over the last five years has been stunning. We also need to step back and go, it's always been a struggle. Abraham Lincoln said this. We're, I mean, he's, we're not even 
you know, 100 years or so, 150 years into, the, into the, um, our nation, right? And he says this, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in wealth and power like no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. This is Abraham Lincoln speaking. We have forgotten the gracious hand that preserved us and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined that these blessings were produced by some superior virtue, wisdom, or virtue of our own. We have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and persevering grace. Too proud to pray to God, to the God who made us. It behooves us to humble ourselves before the offended power. As that, was, that was Abraham Lincoln. Things have not changed much. It still behooves us to come to the offended power and, and, and in personal and in church-wide and in, na- and, and, in, and in national repentance, right? What we have to be able to do is to understand the times is we have to, there's a, there's a, there's a Bible word when you talk about teaching the Bible, it's called exegesis. It means studying the Bible to understand what God meant it to mean and then being able to explain it in a way that people can hear it. So to be, a bi- to be a Christian, we need to be good exegetes. That's the word. We need to be able to read God's word and go, what does God mean? What, what was he saying? And how does that apply? We also, though, need to be able to exegete the culture. Because we, we have to be able to look at what's going on in our world and understand it, not from their perspective, but through the lens of Scripture. To just sit over here and preach Bible, 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 and never engage in the world is not to fulfill the mission. To be so involved in the world that, you've, that you're now viewing what's going on in the world through the world's lens and not through the lens of the Word of God is not to fulfill the mission. We get the tough job. We are to take the Word of God and the world, and we are to, we are to use the first one to understand and then transform the second one. Use the word to understand and transform the world. That's the mission Christ has called us to. But that isn't always easy, easy, especially when what we sometimes struggle with is, is the thing that we're adamant about a gospel thing. Is it a gospel issue? If, if, the, if, if our flag in the sand is not a gospel flag, we need to be really careful about how we're presenting that. And sometimes we can get a little sideways with that. So we need to understand the times. Guys, as Christians, we should be, even with everything going on in the world, in fact, in fact according to Jesus, here's frankly with the truth, and this is, not, this is not where I'm at, I'll be honest. We should be more excited than we have ever been in our experience as Christians. Can anybody here say they feel that way? Praise the Lord, sister. Seriously, I, I like we need to talk. And I'm not I'm not saying that flippantly. Like we need because, but here's here's why. Right? This is where I get my little tagline, keep looking up. In Luke 21, 28, he says, But when Jesus speaking, but when these things begin to happen, these things are all the, the mess in the world, the tribulation, the struggle, everything that we're seeing. He says, run and hide. He says, hunker down. He says, worry and fret. He says, lament and lose hope. No, he says, stand up. 
and look up because your salvation is drawing near. Guys, that's why we, that's why my sweets, I'm guessing from the look on her face, that's why she's excited because we're closer to eternity than we've ever been. And that should excite us as, excite us as Christians. So how can you change your neighbor, your neighbor, your, your neighborhood or your nation? First, we have to be broken by what we see around us. We have to, our heart has to actually hurt for the brokenness that we see and not judge it. The second thing is we have to understand the times through a biblical, biblical worldview. And the last thing is we have to be willing to risk. Guys, we have to be willing to risk our reputation. We have to be willing to risk our comfort. We even have to be willing to risk our lives. Right? Most of the apostles died poorly. And I don't mean they died like without giving God honor. I mean they died in horrible ways. Many of the people that are responsible for the, for the beautiful truth that we get to pres that preserved his beautiful truth died badly. And yet we think that somehow I put on Jesus Christ, so my life is supposed to be wonderful, right? That just isn't in here anywhere. You put on Jesus Christ because your eternity is going to be glorious, so look at Esther, look at verse 10. We're going to finish up with this and figure out what the Lord's got next. Verse 10. It says, Then Esther spoke to Hathach and ordered him to reply to Mordecai, All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that any man or woman comes to the king in, in, in the inner court who is not summoned, has but, he has but one law. So here's what she's saying. Mordecai, you know that if I go to the king unless he invites me in, the law says he, I die. He says, I have not been summoned to come to the king for 30 days. So they related those words to Mordecai. So Mordecai, so this poor, poor Hathash, man, he's going back and forth. Like he must have been in great shape. Um, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you are in the king, that just because you're in the king's palace, you will escape any more than the rest of the Jews. For if you remain silent, now get this about Mordecai's faith in God. If you remain silent, Relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another for the Jews from another place for you and your father's house but you and your father's house will perish and who knows whether you have not attained royalty or the kingdom for such a time as this so Mordecai is grieved he's grieved to the point of repentance and ashes he's he's moved to pray but he's also moved to take action risky action He's risking his daughter, for in a sense, saying, go in there. But he does it from a place of peace. Why? Because he is never doubting the promises of God. He's saying, Esther, you have complete freedom to not do this. You do. And, and you're going to perish. But God's people will not, because I know my God. And my faith is not in me. My faith is not in the king. My faith is not in you, Esther. My faith is in him. Like he is trusting in the providence and the power of God. And that's what we need to be doing as Christians. When we're, when, we're, when we're fearful of taking a risk, that risk might be just to say to somebody, hey, how are you doing and how can I pray for you right now? That risk might be looking at somebody and going, hey, are you sure that you, are, that you genuinely know Jesus Christ? That, that risk might be everything in between. Our, but we need to be ready to take that risk, not because we have faith that we're going to have the right words to say, not because we, but because we believe in the providence and the power of God. And that's 
what Mordecai does so well here. Right? Mordecai understands that this is not about him, it's not about her, it's not even about the king and his edict. This is all about, are we going to walk with the Lord and do what he tells us to do and believe in his promises or not? It is all about what we're calling his, our withness. Are we just going to trust him? When we walk into that situation, he's already there. He is, guys, understand this. Jesus is always first. Right? He, he preempts every move we make. He is always previous. The reason we live in fear, the reason we live in doubt, the reason we live in worry is because we sit back here and we look at, we worry about tomorrow, which is exactly what Jesus told us not to do. Why? Because he knows us. He's like, you are going, you are going to be a person that is, going to, that is going to worry about what's coming because we're walking into it and we don't know. He is already there walking back to us going, just let me, just let, take my hand and let's go. Just, you know, just take my hand and let's go. Okay, come on, just take my hand and let's go. Because I've already been there. That's, that is what it looks like to trust. So when you walk into that moment of asking that question or having that conversation with somebody, do you believe that he's already been there? He's, he already knows the outcome. And the outcome might be, get away from me, you freak Christian. I don't believe in what you believe in. That's not on, what did he say? When they reject you, don't, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So don't worry about it. He's like, just do what I've asked you to do. Now look at the last two verses in our, in our chapter, the last three. It says, Esther told, Morde, told, told them, uh, sorry, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. So she's kind of changed her mind. She says, okay, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink anything for three days. Night and day with my maidens also fast in the same way. And thus I will go into, into the king, that is not, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded. Guys, do you understand what she's saying? She's saying, I, all right, I get what I'm called to do by God. Pray. Get the people, that's what she means by fasting, get the people to pray. But then she went and did. I was talking to her brother before, as we were hanging out before church, and I said, and we were just talking about like the struggle between what is our role, what is my role, my responsibility, and what is God sovereignly doing. Because I hear people, when, when, I, when I say, you know, I'm a little concerned about what are we going to do about this, or how are we going to get this done, or, or like what's God going to do over here, I don't know what that is, and I, and I worry and everything is, I get what I just said is, I struggle with my own heart. But, but, to, but we don't have the option as Christians, biblically, to go, I'm just going to hang out over here, and God is sovereign, and all I need to do is pray. That, that just is not a biblical response. Praying is, but just praying, right? What I told the brother, what was the example that God gave me? David had to pick up the stones and throw one of them at Goliath. He didn't just sit back and pray that God would kill the giant, right? We have a role to play. Esther had a role to play. She's stepping into that role. And that role is simply to be who God has already created us to be. The passage that Jeff Dawkins read today, our calling passage, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Not you will be someday. Not if you do this and this and this. You just are. If, if you're his, you just are. 
So all he's saying to us is just go be who you are. Be who you are. So on your, on your table, and I know we're over time and I don't care. And so um, on your table, there's a piece of paper, a whole size piece of paper. And it has the table talk question on it. And the table talk question is also on your connecting points and it's up on the screen. So it says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We are because Jesus says we are. We can sit and lament the darkness, that the darkness seems to be growing and evil is winning, or we can be who we are. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna give you five minutes at your table to write down every idea. As, as simple as, it doesn't have to be just simple, short things. What are ways that you can be the salt and light in any of those areas. You don't have to do one for each. You just, just any of those, your family, your neighbors, your work or school, a third place, like your gym, coffee shop, et cetera, social media friends, our nation. How can we co get our corporate withness moving in the same direction? So I'm just gonna have you guys write them down. We'll collect them today. We'll get them typed up and we'll get them sent out in an email so everybody can kind of share each other's ideas. Does that make sense? You have five minutes, go.
Okay, just put, um, kind of wrap up your thoughts. I'm going to have the music team come up and we're going to get ready to respond in communion. So somebody just, um, somebody give me like, um, a, just a small, like, like something that's on your list. It's like, you, you know, you know, this is just a small thing. It's not a huge deal. Just like anything. What would it be? Like just like something on your list that you know is just, it, it's not, it's not a big deal. This is not like a life changing kind of how I can be the light and the salt. It's just a simple thing that you could do regularly. Like what, what would be Daniel? Having an open heart with your neighbors. So just being open and ready for awesome. So just be praying. Awesome. Mom. Just listen. That's a good one. Actually, I'm not saying that just because she's my mom. Just listen. How can I pray? Hey, did you invent that? Just kidding. How can I pray for you? Awesome. All right, now what's, what, so, so, and, and we're, and we're going to share all these. Like, we'll get them out to you. So don't throw your paper away. And don't let it get buried in all your junk when we're cleaning up. How, um, what is like a big ask? Like, what is something like that maybe your table has? It's like, a, this is out of the ordinary, everyday way of being a light and a salt person. What's that? Taking the initiative to preach in your community. Wow, okay, that is, yeah, like, like actually like, okay, we're just gonna, I'm gonna become that person, I don't know, if, I don't know what exactly you mean as far as like on the street corner, just preaching, good, anything else? Like the one that I, it just came to me when we were sitting there, it was like, like, what about like running for politics? Like we need Christians, we all like, no, uh, I mean, absolutely, but we need Christians in politics, right? So who's running? Mr. Doc is back here, all right. So, but guys, the, the, obviously the end, the end game is ultimately the glory of God. Right, like, like the goal. If, if, but, but I hope what you're, what you heard today is that that it, this, it, the issue of what we're seeing going on in our world around us, was true 2,500 years ago with Esther. It was true 200 and something years ago with the founding fathers. It was true. I mean, it's always been true. It has always been hard to be a biblical Christian, always. Right, but that's. It doesn't change the mission. Right? The way I heard somebody say it once was, fish have always stunk. The problem is the salt stopped being salty. Right? Our job is to be the light and the salt and, and to see him use us to, in our own hearts, in our own family, in our own neighborhood, and then, and then eventually as that fire keeps spreading to our nation. Right? That's what we're called to do. So we do that best by having our hearts break for what we see out there, by seeing what's out there through a biblical lens and not through a worldly lens, and then by being willing to just take risks and step into it and going, this is the mission you called me to, let's go. So let me pray for that and we'll enter in our time of response. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for these ideas that you've given us. Lord, I want to pray that, um, that as we collect them um, and, and you would use them to um, to help us better define what the mission looks like for us as a people. Um, we're, we're called to make disciples and plant churches, but, but exactly how that looks for our, us 
as families and as the family of God at Cornerstone, um, th that's a unique um, Holy Spirit connected thing. And so Lord, I want to pray that you would take these ideas that the Spirit gave us, that you would connect them together. And as we go and as we share them together, uh, Lord, that you would just use it to, to make us look more like the body of Christ so that your kingdom would come so that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.